Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? The Comics and Pop Culture Podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. This is episode 214, our penultimate episode of 2016, and in it, Graham McMillan and I have a leisurely comic book talk about Batman issue 12 by Tom King and Michael Jenkins, the first several collections of Transformers, More Than Meets the Eye and Transformers, Robots in Disguise, Champions by Mark Wade and Umberto Ramos, Shadow Eyes by Sophie Campbell, the first two volumes of By the Numbers, The Abominable Mr. Seabrook, and much, much more in this two-plus hour podcast. Truncated show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Leave us questions and comments at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Hello there, how are you? Ugh! Ugh! Hooray! <laughs> exactly. You know, honestly, I think I was probably... It's been a long week, you know, but um, but all the latest round of horseshit going on around the election and all, <laughs> where I don't know what to believe or where to turn or what the fuck is happening is just... It's depressing as hell, I guess. I have to tell you, to write your moods related to this, a comment I got on Twitter yesterday. You may or may not have seen that yesterday on Twitter, I was like, holy shit, the CIA are just outright saying that the Russians tried to get Trump elected. Like, what do we even do now? Like, what is the next step, genuinely, at this point? Because you have the intelligence services saying, oh yeah, no, it, it was totally, like, foreign agents acting to influence the outcome of the election. And you have that. You have uh, Hillary is 2.7 million ahead in the popular votes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, this this is insane. This is this is just nuts. This, this is ridiculous because you know that nothing will happen. Yeah. You know that Trump will remain president. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that this all of this is just absolutely insane. If someone had wrote it, written it as fiction, you wouldn't believe it. Yes. Um, and I got the following message on Twitter, which I think is hilarious. I remember when you used to talk comics. When you sounded like a goof, it was endearing. Now you're out of your league. Unfollow. Two things are great about this. One, all of the U's are the letter U. So it's also by Prince. <laughs> oh, no. Two, my first response, honestly, mm-hmm. was to go, I was endearing? <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, no, wait, I'm being insulted. I shouldn't be flattered. <laughs> See, there you go, Graham. You just get your self-esteem low enough, and it's just their attacks pass overhead and seem right. complimentary. It's fine. Yeah. It's, but, think, Jeff, like, think about it. As I was telling you last week, uh, uh, which listeners don't know, because this was a Baxter building, so they didn't hear it to the two of us yabbering for on. Like, last week, I was getting attacked by Martin Luther Kelly. Like, this guy. Mm-hmm. Whatever. You know, everything's just a come down after you've been attacked by Martin Luther Kelly. Oh, boy, that's for sure. I mean, you got attacked by one of the guys who's been described as the closest thing we have to, you know, a supervillain. You know, maybe the a very pathetic version of that, but still. It's a very pathetic attack. Like, it was one tweet and then he moved on because I didn't even respond. Is he still following I, you, though? or? That's a good question. I should check. Uh, let's see. Who is following me? Um... Looks like no. I, I no, he still is. <laughs> wow! No way. Yep. 
Yep, I'm still being followed on Twitter by Martin Kelly. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Because <laughs> if you think about it, not only did I not respond to him, but I've spent last week genuinely talking about comics. You know, it would That's be ter- it terrific if it turns out that he's just like a huge comic book fan. He was I like, would, I, I came know. for the attack. I stayed for the 2000 AD updates. You know? Right. I, I, I wanted to insult him and have a fight, but then I thought, you know, he's not wrong when it comes to Justice League Detroit. <laughs> that would just be the best situation ever. You're like, oh, sure, he's an abominable shithead, but he loves Booster Gold. Oh, my God. We spent <laughs> like, so much time. He, he said Booster Gold's heyday was definitely the original Jurgens run. Before he was turned into a cartoon character during the Justice League International days. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so, so, um, so I thought I'd, I'd, I'd lift your spirits. Because I, I, too, when when all that broke yesterday, I just had a response of like, what the, what the ever-loving fuck? Well, you know, actually, it's one of those deals where I, I – th- this is why I've actually been grateful to just be kind of like – overworked like a mule this week is I didn't really see most of it at at all. Really. I came home, I checked Twitter and I had this like, Oh fuck, Twitter's blowing up. I, and just literally was like, I cannot deal with it. So I went to bed then got up. We went to the gym. Yeah, exactly. You probably had like a, a nice day doing real things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which apparently will be disappearing from our door forever. I mean, seriously, who knows? I have, I have no idea. I'm just, I'm, it's the whole thing is just breaking my brain. And, you know, here's something that's great. I probably shouldn't tell this story because it will just get me in a fucking ass ton of trouble. But don't tell it. Graham, who are you talking to? Don't you remember podcasting me with me? I mean, you know, come on. So, uh, I, I figure it's going to get you into fucked up trouble with people at work. In which case, don't tell it. Oh yeah, no, 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 of course not. No, 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 no. Yeah, okay. I'm a little more okay. discreet than that. No, what happened was basically, uh, I I got a text from my mom that was like, "Can we talk today?" And I was kind of like, oh, "Oh just, no," just because I'm just tired. I love my mom, and I do, um, you know. But I was just like, "Ah, oh, just need some recovery time." I'm really way behind on my comic book reading. I just sort of, but I'm like, "Yes, I can talk for half an hour." And I call her, and it's great. It's like having a conversation with someone out of the Matrix. Because basically my mom's like, I joined the resistance. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> do, no. do you know what she's doing to join the resistance, Graham? Well, first of all, what resistance is she joining? Uh, well, I, I don't know if she's actually joined like an actual resistance. I will give my mom credit. No, but I, but I mean, like, group. have you seen that there's now the, like, did you see Joe Walsh, whose Twitter you may or may not occasionally yes. check into yeah, Walsh yeah, yeah. Freedom? Yeah, yeah, did you yeah. see him? Yes. Being like, come on, Donald, why are you not, why are you hiding from Russia? <laughs> like, like, there's, there's now two resistances, I guess. There, there's the, the, um, Let's face it, hilarious and tragically uh, ineffective left-wing one. Yes. Where, let's not forget, that Louisiana candidate just lost his Senate uh, yeah. election. Mm-hmm. Good mm-hmm. job, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Glad we, glad we all came together for that. Yeah, no uh, shit. And there's the apparently new right-wing one where they're like, wait, he he was going to drain the swamp. What? But 
so why are all the Goldman Sachs guys working? What's this Russia thing? Yeah. So which resistance? Which side is she? she oh, my, my mom has been a lefty from way back. Okay. Time okay. immemorial. So, so, you know, she actually, she actually volunteered for the, for Bernie's campaign, you know, this election. She was actually huh? working and doing stuff and coordinating with people and, God bless her. My mom, who's like just turned 75, but was 74 at the time, called me and was like, uh, how do you use Slack? And I'm like, what? You know, because, <laughs> of course, all the Bernie people, that's how that they were. So the weird that it was amazing that Bernie Sanders was able to get anything done at all because <laughs> his supporters were all people like my mom in their 70s. And my mom is at least sort of tech is tech savvy enough. To like, um, like she knows what Netflix is, right? She's got Netflix, iPhone, you know that whole type of thing. I mean, it's there's there's times where she drives us nuts because making the transition from uh, p- using PCs to the, an Apple was re- really hard for her. She got a Mac Air and she was just like, uh, I just I don't get it. But I mean, I had a difficult time with that. But still, nonetheless, my mom, who's among the more tech savvy 70 plus year olds, is literally trying to help other 70 year olds install oh and God. understand Slack because the rest of the Bernie volunteers are, are all, all like talking. Slack. Yeah, are like 24, and that's how they coordinate everything and assign tasks and update stuff. And are, yeah. and, part and me, now, part of me wishes they actually were like it was the Bernie campaign that was running for president. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like just for the idea of that. Yeah. That yeah. and like you know that against Trump, who would like genuinely at that point who would have won? <laughs> well, see, that's it. Who would have? Because you literally have all these people who can barely communicate with each other because everyone is insistent that they only use a specific platform. And meanwhile, you've got Trump who's just like, fuck it, I'll do it all myself. Like, here, I'm on Twitter. I'm a, I'm a one-man to- disinformation campaign. You know? I'm going to interrupt for two seconds, but um, I listened to uh, the uh, New York Times Rundown podcast this week, and it's an interview with Kellyanne Conway. Mm-hmm. And they, they pretty much queued up as being like, it's Kellyanne in her own words, uncensored. Finally, you're going to get to hear her. I have never heard a more insincere human being in my life. Yeah, yeah. Ever. I mean... And like, I talk to people in Hollywood all the time. <laughs> I have never heard a more insincere person in my life. Wow. It's staggering. It actually sounds like not only that she's reading a script, but she's reading a call center script. And again... You're talking to someone who worked in a call center and wrote call center scripts for years. Right. That's right. what she sounds like. Wow. You can honestly see the parts where it's like, and this is what I believe, square brackets, your name here, square <laughs> But she just uses uh, uses the, the interviewer's name too much. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yes. Like it, has, well, that some point sounds told, sincere. Mm-hmm. This, this will make you sound sincere. This mm-hmm. will ingratiate yourself with your listener. Graham, has the resistance taken you out? My sneeze took me out. I oh, okay. myself. That was amazing. Because I don't know what happened with the muting, but that was... Did you hear... <laughs> no, I didn't hear that, but it really sounded like somebody dragged something over your microphone. It was it was a handkerchief for a sneeze. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so so I get Back a call... Story, yes, I get, a, I get a call from Pantsuit or whatever her, like, Matrix name is now and she's like uh yeah i've joined the resistance i've got to do something positive and beneficial so she's out shopping for an electric car and i'm just like 
Uh, yeah, it's it's such a long story, and it's sad because I actually sold, told this story to Edie afterwards, and she's like, "Oh my god, you Lester's, you're just totally, you're like, you're just gonna <laughs> save the world through buying more shit." And I'm like, you know what's hilarious? I wouldn't have gone there now that Edie said that. I was like, shit, she's actually right. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to show you how on target uh, uh, my wife is, I think she actually may have come up with. What I think of is one of the first truly viable wait what T-shirts for us, um, because she was actually talking about me, and she used the phrase "boycott." Why not? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I, I was oh. like, I'm oh, like, that's, that's such that's a, actually perfect. <laughs> an eye-watering burn. Oh my god! I actually had to write it down. Like, oh my god, that is that is so great. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So my wife on top of things. Anyway, so yeah. So my mom has decided that in order to, and I mean, I sort of, sort of, kind of see her point that she's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get an electric car, and you know, screw the fossil fuel people and all the people being set up and the climate change deniers. And of course, again, I tell Edie, she's like, isn't this like her fourth car in like five years? And I'm like. Yeah, technically it is. Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, it's it's true. My mom, since moving, has basically gotten herself a new car every year. So, for, for reasons, her. I don't know. Maybe she's. Hopefully, she's leasing them. It's an, it's good for her. Is it good she's for the planet America slash the resistance? I don't necessarily think so. But. Did she actually say I, the words "I've joined the resistance"? Uh, yeah, she actually did. She did use that. Oh my god, that's yeah. so perfect. She, but she was, she was. To be fair, my family's not without a sense of irony. So I mean, she was, she was semi-joking, but she was also kind of legit. And frankly, part said, of me is she was like, semi-joking and probably not at the same time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, exactly. I know it sounds resistance. Uh, I know it sounds ridiculous, <laughs> but do not doubt my. My integrity. That's right. That's right. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. So I, I, I have to say part of me was like, well, on the one hand, she's doing something. I think that's probably good. Hopefully she's less depressed than I am. On the other hand, God, let me, uh, let me off this phone call so I can read some quality comic books to talk about them with Graham McMillan. <laughs> Did you succeed in that? Because I've I've read I've actually read a bunch of comics this week, but I'm uh, they're all quality, but I they're in a weird quality space where you're like, huh, I didn't enjoy that nearly as much as I feel I should have for the most part. Uh, With one particular exception that I definitely want to talk to you about. Oh, okay. Well, I, you know, uh, walk me through it. <laughs> okay. Well, the the one I want to talk to you about is Batman issue twelve. Ah. Okay. Are you are you up to date with Tom King's Batman? I I am I am not. I made it to oh. the. I I'm like I haven't made it past the um the first arc. I want to say I'm like oh, way then, then back I in I am suicide. Definitely should not. Uh, we sh I should wait for you to catch up. Uh huh. Because um, the second arc is second arc's a really interesting one. Mm -hmm. uh, it felt up until this issue. Disjointed isn't really the right word, but very, very tonally different from the first arc. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, in large part because Mikhail uh, Yannan comes in as artist and he's just visually very different. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's the way it is structured mm -hmm. is much more stop start. Mm -hmm. So you have the first issue, which is essentially a straightforward narrative mm -hmm. with a shocking ending. 
And then you have the second issue, which has a framing device of a letter written from one character to another character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then you have the third issue, which is, again, a relatively straightforward narrative. Mm -hmm. When when I'm saying relative straightforward, I mean that in terms of, like, it literally goes from A to B to C. But within that, there are plots, twists. Mm -hmm. And then issue four, the, uh, the fourth part, which is issue 12... Uh, just came out and it is again framed in a letter from one character to the other character. Mm-hmm. In particular, the first, the letter in the second part of the story is a character to Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Second letter is a letter from Bruce Wayne to this character, not a reply as such. The idea is both of them wrote these letters and never sent them. Mm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, Issue 12 is Bruce Wayne explaining why he became Batman, Mm -hmm. but not in the traditional, my parents were killed. In a, my parents were killed, and that made me realize there was no point to life, and there was no God, and I was suicidal, and this is what he did instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, actually, Neil Caput, I hope I'm pronouncing that name right, who is a listener of the podcast, actually tweeted me literally saying, uh, latest Batman comic was something I can't quite figure out. And I, I was like, what, the annual? And he's like, no, it's the regular title. The issue that's one long fight scene set to a monologue about how young Bruce attempted suicide. Yeah, it's, it's, so it's not just one long fight sequence. It's one long fight sequence told entirely in double page spreads. Wow. Where each double page spread features multiple images of Batman moving geographically through the scene. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, So like formally it's, it's fascinating. Right. It's, it's King and Yannon clearly going, you know, what can we do with the double page spread? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. let's, instead of, because King's very fond of the Watchmen 9 panel grid. Mm -hmm. He's especially in something like Omega Man. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he sticks to that. Um, and this is very much the opposite. What can I do with the maximum amount of space I can get in a comic? Mm-hmm. And what can I do when I use that as one image, but mm-hmm. refuse to treat it as a solitary image? It's not a static image. Mm-hmm. I have one image. How do I, how does the artist navigate through this and navigate the reader's eye through this mm-hmm. uh, using multiple, it's like multiple exposures on a camera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that in itself is fascinating, but there is the the suicidal thing is like really hit me in the gut. Mm-hmm. I did not expect. Uh, not only did I not expect like that level of intensity from this comic, because let's face it, the first the first story in King's uh, Batman is you know emotional to an extent, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of goofy as shit, mm-hmm. you know. And so to go to that too. Literally, Bruce say Bruce talking him talking character who I'm not going to say through his his suicide attempt as a kid mm-hmm. is like really intense, like genuinely intense, hmm. uh, and and playing it against because um, what essentially comes out of that is he he essentially says like there's nothing to live for, there's there's no good in the world, mm-hmm. um, so I decided to become the good. Uh-huh. Like if if no one is going to stand up for anyone and, there's, and there is no kindness in the world, right? What if I become this ridiculous thing to to personify the kindness? Mm-hmm. And you know that against the 
um, the repetition of the fight sequences more mm-hmm. than it. Hmm. Because it, because it, it does like it spins off from that as well. So it then goes into like you know Bruce Wayne being entirely aware that Batman is a ridiculous concept, mm-hmm. and that the idea that you fight something to make it better is a ridiculous concept. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you can actually make a difference by fighting by dressing up in a costume and fighting crime is a ridiculous concept. Mm-hmm. And, you know, playing that narration out against these fight sequences, where it is, you know, Batman versus faceless goons, you know, 20 through 47. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just makes her a really fascinating uh, read. Hmm. And then very much darker than the book had been up until this point. Mm-hmm. And this arc in general is really dark compared with the first arc. Mm-hmm. Uh it, and also, it fascinatingly, is Tom King going, oh, I love Jonas Strander's Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm bringing in I'm bringing in Punch and Julie from Jonas Strander's Suicide Squad. Oh, wow. Squad there you go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's turned into a fascinating comic. But also one where you're like, I can't quite believe this is the Leeds Batman comic in the line now. Yeah, for sure. It's very strange. Neil also said, like, I couldn't make any sense of why this was done. I was hoping you could. So do you think that it's that he's not catching or it didn't hit him as emotionally? The idea that Batman, that Bruce Wayne is basically like, uh, <coughs> I need, I I need to essentially be the good that I need to oh, see I, in the I, world? I, or? I think it depends on what your idea of Batman is. Mm-hmm. I think there are definitely people for whom their idea of Batman just will not accept this King's construct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because King's construct is essentially a nihilistic optimism. <laughs> that that is that is that can be a tough thing to wrap one's brain around, yes. But you know what I mean? Because like, it's essentially like there is no hope. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I have to become the hope. Yeah, yeah, I see that. I, you know, uh-huh. but but rooted in that is is both like this utter nihilism <laughs> mm-hmm. and the rejection of of the same. Hmm. And I, you know, that's I think that's I think that's a really unusual concept to play out in Batman mm-hmm. because I think all too often Batman is portrayed as like he was scarred as a child, now he punches pain in the face. <laughs> and I think this takes like it literally takes that idea and goes, or he's he, like he's kind of really fucked up, mm-hmm. you know he's really a mess and well, he's trying to do the right thing, but he's a fucking mess. I had got the sense, and I don't remember if it was an interview with King. It probably was, but the 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 move from the end of I Am Gotham to the next arc being called I Am Suicide felt like he was toying with both the elements of, you know, what makes Batman Batman, but also at some sort of, like, death and grieving process, I suppose, you know? Yeah, and and, uh, because I really don't want to spoil the story for you, Mm. the other characters in this, the other main characters in the story present counterpoints to that like king is clearly playing at what do you do when you're faced with unspeakable tragedy right in this Mm -hmm. like that this is a very 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 clear theme Mm 
mm-hmm. that he's playing with in this. And, and in a sense, has been since the end of I Am Batman, with what happens to Gotham in that. Mm-hmm. And what happens to Gotham Girl, more importantly, mm-hmm. afterwards. Yes. Um, but he... Because part of me does just want to be like, and then this happens, but you're going to fucking read the comic at some point, so I don't want to. Right. Um, but he he has a very a genuinely controversial spin on an old standby character, hmm. uh, which he's already laying the groundwork to lo- to walk back. Mm-hmm. But if he doesn't walk it back, if he instead doubles down on it, mm-hmm. I think it's going to really piss people off. Okay. How old is that particular issue? Because part of me is like, I feel bad that we can't talk, you can't talk about this with the degree. I mean, we're normally like, spoilers be damned and, you know. Sure, but you haven't read it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's one thing when both of us have read it. Sure. But are you going to read it? Yeah, I think, sure. But I mean, you know, it's, I can be spoiled. I mean, it's, it's. I'm willing to take much, that it's hit. It's, put this way, it's like a month old at right. this point because they're on a twice monthly schedule. Yeah. So the the reveal, quote unquote, happened in the second part of this arc, and we're in the fourth part of the arc now. Okay, so I say you should spoil it. People should know that there are spoilers because I think otherwise it's kind of it's. I'm not saying that it's un it's not fair to the listeners. I just feel like after all the shit <laughs> that we've want spoiled, more context? is that what you're asking? <laughs> no, I I I just sort of feel like it might be more helpful for you to kind of. Okay, so so what he does is mm-hmm. Batman is putting together a team to take down Bane. Right. He's in Arkham Asylum and he chooses Punch and Julie and there's one other character he wants and it's revealed that that's, Cat, that's Catwoman. Mm-hmm. And the reason Catwoman's in Arkham is that she's killed 237 people. And basically copped an insanity plea mm-hmm. as a result. The letter in the second issue is Catwoman writing to Bruce Wayne. And saying, I killed 237 people because those are the people responsible for the destruction of the orphanage in which I was placed as a child. Mm-hmm. And children died as a result and that they had to pay. Mm-hmm. That, that There is no alternative for this. That was a sin and they had to pay for their sin. Mm-hmm. The, the, their payment had to be death. That is That is the only thing that could happen. And Catwoman's letter is... Is entirely nihilistic because it is essentially her saying, "One of these days, you'll realize that that is that is the only option. Mm-hmm. That you can't blame people. That people are not inherently good. Mm-hmm. That can do is hurt them back. Mm-hmm. That is all. You, and one day you'll realize this, and then we will both be happy." Mm-hmm. Right, uh, and Bruce, then you Bruce's see Bruce's letter, letter, and it's is, like, it's I, is literally like you know, I've I've you know, I've faced this terrible tragedy. And I had to find meaning in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Bruce's letter also says outright, I don't think you killed them. I know they're dead, but I don't think you're responsible. I think you're covering for someone. And I, I don't know why you're lying, but I will find out why you're lying. Hmm. And I'll prove that you're lying. Mm-hmm. So you have you have very clearly, you know, Selena is basically... When when you are faced with with unspeakable tragedy, you can't find an upside. Mm-hmm. Like there 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 is no there is no happiness beyond this. Mm-hmm. You discover a tragedy and you have to surrender to the tragedy, and you have to dedicate yourself following the tragedy 
to not even making amends, but but getting revenge and then just accepting that that everything's terrible. Mm-hmm. Whereas Bruce Wayne's letter is is just the opposite. When you're faced with unspeakable tragedy, you have to construct meaning out of it because nothing else will construct that meaning for you. There, there is no higher power. You have to become that higher power, mm-hmm. and that that you. It, he essentially makes the argument that you have to then dedicate yourself to ensuring that other people will never face this. Right. It's sort of ex- existentialist as opposed to I don't know absurdist or nihilist. Yeah. Uh, and so Catwoman is very much being played up in this arc as um, not necessarily absurdist, but as seeing everything as like a cruel joke. Mm-hmm. And because of that, having no allegiance to anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is this plays out in the, the A narrative by the fact that she betrays Batman. Mm-hmm. Because of course she does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the subtext is Batman will never betray Catwoman. Because he believes in her, but also she is one of these people that he has refused to allow to go through, allowed to deal with this kind of tragedy alone. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Like you said, that sounds, uh, it's funny, like you're sort of like, I can't believe this is the Batman book. But, you know, it sort of reminds me of some of the stuff that Doug Minch was trying to do on Detective. Or back to Doug Minch. I can totally see that, because I know that he went through a big Catwoman arc. And yeah. he, like, Catwoman? Was, didn't she turn good mm-hmm. for a while? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were basically, the whole gist was a big, it was a big sort of sweeping love story between the two of them, in, involving her sort of being redeemed and coming over to Batman's side. And then I don't remember how they reflipped it. But it seems like it went I, I on for a long time. It. Yeah, they reflipped it in a Detective Comics issue by Mike Barr and Alan Davis, where the Joker kidnapped her and brainwashed her. Eh, uh, okay, really by Barr and yeah. Davis. I, for some yeah. reason, I assumed Barr and Davis was before. Was after because Barr and Davis are actually the team that started Batman Year Two in Detective following Miller. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, huh, all right. I, you know, I'm like, yes, Graham, that's why I'm thinking of... He was replaced by Todd McFarlane. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, 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 which, wow, what a choice. It's funny, someone I think was actually asking, like, oh, yeah, I want to say someone on Twitter was like, hey, should I pick up Batman Year Two? Like, I really enjoyed Ten Nights of the Beast, and um, this was right in the middle of... like, no. What's that? They're like, no, don't, no. You know, I gotta say, it's really tough for me, because actually, I do not like Batman Year Two at, barely at all. In fact, I like Batman Mask of the Phantasm, the animated movie that more or less adapts Batman Year Two, and I think yeah, does but, more but interesting makes it stuff better. with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Batman Year Two is a, a disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really kind of a mess. Well, I think in some ways it was just sort of a mistake. Marketing-wise, it was such a mistake. Like, you've got Batman Year One, and it was so definitively successful. I can see them being like, oh, we got to do a Batman Year Two. Like, let's get people who are the exact stylistic opposite of that. You know, people love that. And, uh, I mean, separate and apart from some of the other things. I feel I'm weirdly ambivalent about Mike Barr's, uh, some of Mike Barr's Batman material. Like, because yeah, some I, of the I, detective I stuff... 
yeah. you know, the lead up to that where he's he and Alan Davis are basically doing done in ones and it's uh wisecracking Robin Jason Todd like he is you know, it's it's them very much it's, doing it's really upbeat. Yeah, it's upbeat. It's kind of timeless Batman stuff. He's like, I very much want to do Dick Sprang, Jerry Robinson style stuff, but with Alan Davis and and that was all uh I thought really enjoyable. But but yeah, I on the but then at some point, <laughs> then then when year two ran around, it was just like, ugh, it's terrible. Do you remember year three? Uh, I think I saw that they were doing it, and I didn't even pick it up. Who's it by? Year three. Uh, year three is Marv Wolfman and Pat Broderick. Oh yeah, because I if do you think, remember that. If you right. think who's going to follow up mm-hmm. on yeah on uh, Frank Miller and David Mazzucchelli, you definitely always think you know Pat Broderick seems like a great choice. Especially with Marv Wolfman writing. You know, again, Wolfman stuff, because that is the, I think they did the, ah, shit. Year year three three is is just before Tim Drake comes in as Robin. Yes. Like, literally, I think it's like the storyline before, or maybe even the storyline after. No, no, no. Honestly, I think the reason why you're confused is I want, I almost feel like it, it, the, Tim Drake's discovery that Bruce Wayne is Batman is sort of the framework for year three, because year three is all about Robin. It's Robin. Yeah. yeah. It's all about so, Robin. Yeah. you know, so that's how they bring it in. And again, in that weird, like, I don't remember if it was before or after, but, you know, Wolfman was doing the series around that time with Jim Aparo on the art yes, and yeah. doing a variety of things that I thought were kind of fun like you know as i as i know now from from our time on the baxter building wolfman has uh maybe attention span problems uh and also has like like the the mixture of ambition to ability to achieve is not always it's 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 uh highly mercurial let's say it that way but i remember loving there's a sequence there that's sort of overwrought you know as wolfman is but also i thought really delightful in which uh batman and two-face are it's like it's like split panels and so on the left hand is um two-face trying to figure out the perfect two-face crime you know, and on the other hand is Batman racking his brain, trying to figure out what what Dent's perfect two-faced crime is going to be. And you see them each being like, no, no, too obvious. No, he'll come up with it. No, no, this is something it'll point in the wrong direction. And I kind of loved it because I that is one of those things that, in again, you know, my heart of hearts, one of the things I love about batman and his rogues gallery is just the idea that they are that they are um so obsessive compulsive like you know they're all geniuses but the idea that they're all absurdly fixated on their on their tick and how exhausting that tick is and then of course he he's got wolfman's got this whole story about you know the joker is forgotten how to laugh or something like he can't remember how to make a joke essentially and he's like ah how do i no that's a riddle this isn't a no that's more of a pun no i uh not a shaggy dog story and it, it turns out there's two jokers there's like a joker who there's a copycat for the joker whose material isn't quite right and then the joker who is completely fucked up and is is basically frustrated that the guy is that 
that's Which, a Wolfman story. That's yeah. not a, a an Alan Grant story from Sam Emer era. Mm-mm. I don't unless Grant revisited it. But the one that I remember is very much. Um, it is or was that maybe, maybe I'm getting mixed up? Was it definitely? I remember there was a point where both series were telling Joker stories at the same time. Mm. It, it's it's and there was like a quasi crossover, but it wasn't like it wasn't really a crossover. It was like a, both of us are telling Joker stories that interrelate but don't actually tie in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It 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 could be. I and I don't even know if I actually followed through and read the entire arc because it, uh, Wolfman's stuff was kind of. Uh, it is it's wild card in Batman four fifty. I appallingly I remembered it was Batman four fifty. Like I'm <laughs> dead. Someone commits crimes posing as the Joker who is believed to be dead mm-hmm. from 1990. Wolfman and Aparo. Yeah. See, there you go. That's crazy that you remember the issue and I remembered the creative team and all the re- the rest of the hook. So together, then, Graham. Here, here's what, here's what the, it's fascinating. It is Norm Brayfogle cover. Oh, yeah. Which might be right. why I thought it's Maybe Brayfogle that's throwing off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually a really fun Brayfogle cover, in fact, too. Because it's it's the Joker kind of sitting in like the shadows with kind of a or someone who might be the Joker exactly right with a kind of weird look on his side. I yeah, it's a good cover. Good old Ray man. Was great, wasn't he? He was. He was. Ray, Ray Batman was so great. Yeah, it, it it was great fun, and of course it suited, um, you know, Grant. Was it was it Grant and Mills? It was. No. It started off as Grant and Wagner. Grant and then Wagner, Wagner exactly. disappeared like within a year, and Grant stayed on for ages. Well, yeah, I mean, he more or less stayed on, and they pretty much created the Shadow of the Bat for him, right? That was yeah, specifically yeah. his sort of reward, and yeah, he was he was making fine hay. But those first couple of issues, especially when they come back, and ah oh, man, you know they they created new villains and all that stuff, and Bray Fogel's got had just kind of the right. It was a really right mesh of um, cartoony, but also, you know, dark and grim, but also, let's face it, like, really cartoony and, yeah. Yeah, just... and, and, like, weirdly fun. Mm-hmm. Brayfogel was, was, and I say this even though their art styles aren't similar at all, mm-hmm. but somehow tonally, was an updated Dick Sprang. Mm. Yeah, I can see that, actually. I can see that, because there is the kind of... Um, Exaggeration, the funhouse exaggeration to yeah. it, just a lot more modern that way. Uh, yeah. So anyway, how did we end up? Oh, year Batman year two. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think we're, we're talking about Batman. We're talking about um, the King, yeah, Yan and Batman, and you're comparing it to uh, Doug Munch. Oh yeah, Doug Munch. Right. Yeah. So which is like you said, all roads lead to to Munch these days. So, but what else have you been reading? What else are you like? Uh, in- I actually got the first four volumes of Transformers Phase 2, the IDW collection at the library. Wow. What that is, is it's the Transformers More Than Meets the Eye series mm-hmm. that everyone keeps saying is like the best comic that's being published right now. Right. And the attendant Transformers series that are being published at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so like, I've made it through the first couple. And so Transformers Phase 2, the IDW collection, volume one, Mm-hmm. has first six issues of Transformers Robots in Disguise. There was five issues of More Than Meets the Eye and the Death of Optimus Prime hmm. one-shot that launches them both. Mm-hmm. So I've made it through basically a year of both books uh, by this point. Uh, Good burp. 
Yes. Yeah, sorry, I know the worst part was I <laughs> muted the first one and then unmuted it and surprised myself with the second. So that, well, it, it was good. Um, anyway, <laughs> Thanks, so, I, so I, I finished. I finished a year of both books, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I'm just assuming that more than meets the eye gets a lot better in later issues. Mm-hmm. To be honest, interesting because as it is, it's a fun enough like ensemble superhero team comic mm-hmm. by someone who clearly grew up reading the Giffen Dematis Ju- Justice League. Uh-huh. Um, but it is beset by the two problems that I always find with Transformers comics. One of which is visually they're, they're fuckers to read mm-hmm. because in an attempt to stop the characters looking like toys, mm-hmm. Like, the colouring and art makes the characters completely indistinct. Oh, God. So you're like, he's kind of, like, they're all kind of boxy, and their heads are different, but you can't always see their heads clearly. Mm-hmm. And you're like, so who is that again? And they've all got kind of ridiculous names. Mm-hmm. Like, which one? Swerve. Who's Whirl? <laughs> you know? So you know, like, you know your lead lead characters, because they are, they're very firmly set up. Mm-hmm. And then, like, but the problem is, both Robots in Disguise and More Than Me's AI has an army of secondary characters. Oh, gosh. Fuck off. Like, you know, oh, double digits secondary mm. characters you're supposed to keep track of. Wow. Um, and it's just, it's impenetrable. And the other problem is, Transformers mythology is just fucking ridiculous. Right. Like, it feels like someone has managed to take 75 years of DC Comics superhero history and condense it into the 30 years the Transformers has been around. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels that dense. Wow. Like, even the IDW continuity is only, like, 10 years old. Mm-hmm. At, at mm-hmm. most. And it is already just a clusterfuck. Hmm. You know? And so, you're, uh, more than meets the eye is... So the whole setup is the war between the Autobots and Decepticons is over. Mm-hmm. They all back in Cybertron. Cybertron is now a dead planet. Optimus Prime is like, I have won, but I have lost because you all think of me as the war. I'm leaving. These other guys are in charge. And then the book splits off. Mm-hmm. So you get more than meets the eye, which is a bunch of Transformers leave Cybertron to go and find mythical heroes that they believe can can redeem the race. Mm-hmm. And Bring Cybertron back to life. And Robots in Disguise is what happens to the ones left in Cybertron. Hmm. It's, a, it's a really interesting setup for, for two series, right? Sure, yeah. But for that part, like both of the series are completely fine and completely competent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but both of them are too steeped in their own mythology. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden they're like, let's do a one-shot about the scavengers. <laughs> And I'm like, who the fuck are the scavengers? Like, am I supposed to know who they are? Okay, well, so what are they doing? And who are these other guys that are after them? Are, are they are they a big deal? Right. I, I, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And they never really stop and explain. But you know, is there a just, way that you can take that at sort of a Kirby, don't ask, just buy it kind of level? Or does it not, I don't know, be able to stand sufficiently... You know what I mean? Like, cause there's always oh, that point. The problem comes in uh-huh. where, cause I think with Kirby's Don't Ask Just Buy It, you are, you're brought along by the speed of the story. Yeah. There's always a high concept. 
Right. Like Kirby would say, don't ask, just buy it. But he would be like, and then there's a monster who looks like, you know, a oh, giant yeah. hand. Right. And the giant hand is trying to turn the lock and the lock will destroy reality. Mm-hmm. And you're mm-hmm. like, this is fucking nuts. But okay, I understand what's going on. Yes. When it's, you know, this bunch of robots one of whom has a secret because every fucking robot in this in both series has a secret, Jeff. Everyone. Like they're they're all scarred by war and right. everyone has secrets. Because that's that's another problem with both these books. They're both a little self conscious about like we're not just a toy comic. Right. You know, and you're like, it's okay like for someone not to be, you know, scarred, emotionally scarred by their experiences. <laughs> That'd be fine. That would really be okay at this point. Um, <laughs> but, so you get that, and you get, you know, and here are the two different factions, but you can't, don't really understand who the factions are, and there's there's a war, and they're all referring to this thing that happened in the war, but they're only going to refer to it by a name, and you're not going to know if you're supposed to know it, or if you're not supposed to know it, and so you don't really know how to read half the scenes, mm. because... If you do know it, then obviously that explains things. Whereas if you don't, then it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's just—it's exhausting reading both these comics. Right. Um, and there's there's lots like there's things that are good. Um, James Roberts, who writes more than ECI, has really clearly has read the Given to Matters Justice League run and has a nice line in patter. Mm-hmm. He writes characters incredibly broadly. Mm-hmm. Like a little too broadly, mm-hmm. um, but he has a nice line in jokes. Mm-hmm. He also ends the first issue with a great thing, which is sadly never really followed up in the issues I've read so far. Which is so these these transformers leave, and they're uh, it looks like they die to everyone on Cybertron because something goes wrong with their ship, mm-hmm. and instead like they're thrown to another dimension because of course they are. Mm-hmm. But uh, the scene following that is. Someone then sends a message from the future, which is basically like, don't let them go into space. <laughs> and if, like, if they, like, and here are the other things you can't let them do. But the transmission is broken. Mm-hmm. So you basically get, you know, if, you know, if Jeff Lesser's there, then don't let him, and then it'll cut out. Right, right. And so it sets lots of these future plots, mm-hmm. which is, which is nice, because you're like, oh shit, so, so bad shit is going to happen. Yes. Yeah, so, great hook. And it doesn't really tie any of that off in the following mm-hmm. 12 issues mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know what you're kind of like that's great hook and you're not really tying it off because you're too busy going meanwhile out in space there's an alien plague and it's attacking transformers and you know here's blah 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 and they're scarred by war and here and you're just like oh you had like your first issue the first issue of more than me yeah he's a great issue mm-hmm. and then like the book almost immediately loses his way and and to see so many people whose opinions I really respect go, this is the best comic being published right now, I genuinely like this book has to find its footing later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's an enjoyable mess right now, but it's a mess by the end of the first month. The end of the first year. Right. Right. And it's it's a mess that if you do not like if you do not really know your Transformers, mm-hmm. To really work at. Oof, yeah, see, that one sounds, that's where I'm like, oh, that does sound you know, rough. Yeah. You really, you have to be like, okay, I have to keep track of all these characters who are visually indistinct. Oh, man. Uh, and because Roberts likes to have them all being snarky, mm-hmm. aside from the ones who are like, it's Ultra Magnus, he doesn't make jokes. Mm-hmm. You know, 
everyone else sounds the same. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, so I really, like, I really have to keep track of this. <laughs> you know, it's, it's you know? funny to change things just a little bit, unless you've got, you know, more to embellish along these, these lines. Uh, I did want to interject one thing that is uh, ironic. I found myself thinking similar, uh, well, not similar, uh, companion thoughts, let's put it that way, is uh, a few days ago on Twitter, around the time that Forever Evil went on sale, uh, I think on Comixology, I saw this um, tweet by uh, Tanchi Zanyuk, um, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, who uh, was like, yeah, that uh, I saw those were on sale, and that's why I picked up four volumes of By the Numbers, by humanoids and i was like by the numbers so i i you know i didn't know i think he was i wasn't sure if he was riffing on like this forever evil sale and it's like yeah you know all those books are on sale and they're all by the numbers but i went and looked at humanoids by the numbers and it's like oh it's a four part uh, a four volume series about you know a timid accountant who ends up basically getting dragged into French international history after World War Two. So, uh, the obvious choice. Exactly. Yeah, completely. And I was like, okay, I will, I, I'm down. I will give this a try. And it's, uh, it's written by, uh, Laurent Roulier and the artist is, uh, Stanislav Barthelme. And I should mention Dominique Thomas does the colors, uh, in part because it's done in a, that sort of, uh, Linier Claire style, like the, the, the line is, is not differentiated and you use the color. And sure. w- one of the things that's quite interesting about the first two volumes, which I read, uh, is that the, you know, that sort of the Linier Claire also ties into kind of that, you know, Ergay style cartooniness, uh, and the cartooniness is one of those weird things where it makes everyone so easily to distinguish between one another. Like the, at one point there's some characters where I'm like this guy with like his crazy wavy nose, like it's supposed to be a broken nose. He's kind of a, he's like a soldier who's been through some tough stuff and you want to show immediately that he's a tough guy. So he's got a broken nose, but it literally almost looks like a flag flapping in the wind, right? And it's just, and there's one point where there's a guy who's like a tough, hard-headed German. And at one point you sort of see him in close-up and I'm like, the proportions on that head are like not tethered to reality. But but on the other hand, I had that thing (laughs) of like, oh, but the design process of that guy's tetherball head is very consistent like throughout the book and you can, you can, one of the, the flip sides to this is, is like, there's a large cast of characters and you can visually tell who each one is immediately. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, and that also cuts down on a lot of necessity to, to spell out who, who, which character is whom, unless it's, you know, at the beginning of like when they're first introduced or whatever. And I was like, wow, this, it, it's one of those weird deals where, cause honestly the, the cartooning is, is solid, but it's not, it's not the kind of stuff that you're going to mistake for, 
you know, Aragay himself or, um, God, who's the guy who does that amazing, I want to say Jacques Tardy, but I don't even know if that's correct. But anyway, it, it's, you know, it's, it's solid. And it's really actually one of the things that's very interesting is, is, uh, that the guy, the storytelling is also told on a, um, uh, a four tiered grid. So there's usually about 12 panels to a page or more. Um, you know, there's never less than, let's see, what's this, 10? Uh, which means that the story just like moves like a motherfucker, but, but it's also, um, you use the cart, they have to use the cartooniness to, um, Amplify the drama, if you know what I'm saying, because technically all the panels are pretty small when you're on a on a on a four tiered grid, you know, for a comics page. Even though I assume that I'm looking at the since I read this digitally, I'm sure it was done in a the larger, you know, European album bound Destiny size. Yeah, yeah. But but even still, I found myself being like, oh, like yeah, there's <laughs> there's that thing of cartooning. Car- having cartooniness be able to like, if you can sacrifice the quote unquote realism to it, what you end up picking up is a ridiculous amount of speed. You know, you can really just tear through stuff because as long as the cartoonist can, you know, is strong enough that you know what you're looking at, things can just really fly by and you can even get storytelling that is, um, arguably like over compressed, but the cartooniness again allows it to have a visual flair that gives it the dramatic punch that the that the situations would otherwise feel underdeveloped on. You know? Yeah, I mean, the, you're, you're sort of you've you've sort of uh, pointed to Hershey a, a couple of times in mm-hmm. talking about this, but that's very much what Tinted is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, T- Tintin is is ridiculously overstuffed comics, but it gets away with it because of the cartooning. Yeah, exactly. You know, which which is a, a, in in some respects like embarrassingly so, like offensively so, when you get to like Tintin in the Congo. Yes, but but, but it is cartooning that is based on stereotypes, so you don't have to say this is a bad man because he looks like a bad man. Right. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, like it, you you do gain something mm-hmm. from broad cartooning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. And I think one of the problems with the Transformers books is that it is, like I said, it's a self-conscious there is property at this point. Mm-hmm. That it it doesn't want to go, you know, Decepticon. Mm-hmm. Come on, you guys! <laughs> like, of course he's, of course they're evil. They have deception in their name. <laughs> you know, and like they'll they'll make jokes about it. They'll make really self self-conscious jokes about it. Mm-hmm. But they are they don't just like embrace it. Do you know what I mean? Like Transformers can be, and and I think when um, Tom Seeley was doing it for for mm-hmm. Transformers GI Joe, he leaned into this a lot. Like the the oh, yeah. the strength of the concept of Transformers because it's a kid's property because it's a toy. Mm-hmm. Like you, it's you don't have to fill in a lot. Like you don't have to spend a lot of time on nuance because you have Megatron. He's a guy with a big gun on his arm, mm-hmm. and he's the leader of Decepticons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't almost don't have to be like, and here's, you know, he was abused when he was a baby robot. You can just be like, he's a bad guy because he's fucking called Megatron. He turns into a gun and he leads the Decepticons. Yeah, right, right. 
Yeah, no, it's, it is, it's, it's interesting the way in which we need to have the narratives be somewhat serious to take them, you know, and there's sort of that weird sliding scale of some people, the, the part of why they respond to it is like, oh my God, these, this is taking the characters so seriously, you know, and these well, are characters yeah, that mean I, a I, lot to me. You know. Yes, and I think that's what's happening with a lot of people with with more than the CI, because I I think the people who uh, love it so mm-hmm. do so in large part because the Transformers mean something to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I would not be surprised if the majority of people who are hardcore fans of this comic grew up reading the Transformers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the same way that you know, so many people who are like, oh, have you know, I I have you read. Fuck Jeff Johnson's Green Lantern, mm-hmm. you know, grew up reading Green Lantern, mm-hmm. as opposed to because Green. I, I'm not saying I should say that Transformers is really any less or any more impenetrable than like your traditional DC or Marvel superhero comic. Well, I was about to say it, it. It honestly reminds me of if you someone who grew up who crossed Geffen McGuire's Justice League with what Claremont was doing in the X Men. You know, it has that level of, you know, like, uh, we were at war, now the war is over, but the war continues, and, you know, and we're a mess. But also, yes, yeah, but there's also, there's also just layers and layers of so many, the, the mythology, uh, is so dense that it's hard not to let it run the narrative. You know, which I definitely feel is a is a pretty valid argument to make a, about Claremont's X Men after a certain point. Yeah, you know. Well, what's what's really interesting is that the, both of the series and the issues I've read so far are dedicated to running against the narrative, mm. because the setup of both series is the war is over. What next? Mm-hmm. And especially in the other book, Robots in Disguise, there is a lot of discussion. About who are we if we're not at war? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and of the characters who can't let the war go, mm-hmm. uh, one of the, the the overriding themes is that the Autobots, i.e., the quote unquote good guys, just inherently can't trust the Decepticons. Mm-hmm. Like cannot, no matter what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when, and don't get me wrong, lots of the Decepticons are basically portrayed as like, we are thugs, or we are evil. Mm-hmm. But there's also ones that aren't. Mm-hmm. And you, you, like, they're, they're playing, they're, they're leaning heavily on the, isn't everyone a monster in war? <laughs> thing? Like, they, they are leaning very heavily on that, that, mm-hmm. uh, trope, that note, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it's interesting because, as far as I know, and I could be wrong, I think Robots in Disguise stops at some point, mm-hmm. whereas More Than BCI is still going now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really interesting to me because it feels like More Than BCI has the less, has the shorter story. Right, has the more contained narrative, whereas... Yeah, because either, either they find the guys or they don't. Right. Whereas, what do you do after the war feels like it has countless places to go. Oh, yeah. I mean, part of me is, I, I hate to say it, but part of me is like, God, help me. I didn't know that was the plan. I'm so, I'm, I'm weirdly down with like, uh, like 
po- like Cold War robot. They yeah, talk exactly. like, kind po- of post post war narrative. Like is mm-hmm. is is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and and is more interesting than space narrative, like mm-hmm. space quest. Uh, in large part because we've read space quest a lot. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does you know? feel pretty basic. Um, but. Yeah, it's, it, they're weird comics. Like, I'm glad I got all four books out at once because mm-hmm. I know I read them all. Whereas I think if I was getting about like one after another, I might even have stopped after the first one. Oh, interesting. Because my takeaway, my takeaway is basically, yeah, these are interesting, but I don't have any real loyalty or nostalgia for these characters. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's there's other things I can read mm-hmm. <laughs> for what a better way of putting it. Yeah, boy, that's for sure. I mean, there's such a crazy amount of... I, I wanted to ask you about this. It's probably... we're. I'm probably asking you an episode too soon because next week is uh, another... It's the last episode of the year, Jeff. Right, is, is our last episode of the year. And it's also a wait what... God, I just cannot stop burping. I wonder what the heck's going on. And, um... <laughs> and, uh... I was curious because I saw you kind of put the call out on Twitter for people to recommend uh, books of the year. So yeah. I figure maybe it would make more sense to talk about that next episode unless, of course, you sort of have the list. It's compiled. You've got things to I, talk I, about. I don't. Okay. Uh, and I should because I actually need to write it up on like Monday. Oh, okay. But – but I don't. Okay. Um, I can tell you a bunch of things that are going to be on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Flintstones is probably going to be on it. Uh, Rolling Blackouts by Sarah Glidden is mm-hmm. probably going to be on. Um, I don't. I don't know what Tom King I'm going to put put on there because mm-hmm. he's just had a fucking great year. He's had Omega Man, Sheriff of Babylon, The Vision, and now Batman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that's just that's a, that's an amazingly good year for him. Yeah. Uh, I suspect I'm going to end up putting either Sheriff or Omega Man on there. Interesting. Um, and it might be Omega Man, which, again, is a book that just, like, totally gut-punched me. You know, I have to say, I think I made it through... Uh, you know, it's uh, it's funny, because I'm very much like, oh, I really thought the vision ended up being more consistently strong, I thought. So maybe that's just... A sign of my, because I I didn't read all of Omega Men. I have all the issues. Whereas I, I still have I still haven't finished Vision. Uh, okay. I have a couple of issues behind on Vision. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, it's, I, I, it's one of those things where I'm like, do I try and find the time this weekend to push through? Because so many people have just been like, oh, Vision, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually the, one of the reasons that I was reading the Transformers was that so many people recommended Transformers. Yes, absolutely. Um, let's see, Demon might be on there. Mm-hmm. Oh uh, yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Good uh, lord, that would be on there for me. Shit, I forgot that wrapped up this literally year. Literally, the tip of my tongue mm-hmm. it was gone. Oh, Breck Devon's Panther is probably going to be on there. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you love uh, that. Which you talked about before. The the remember, I, I it's from shit. Drawn quarterly, I think. Yeah, maybe fancy graphics. I think it's drawn uh, quarterly. I talked about that in episodes back in the summer. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know beyond that. Like, I, I don't. It's been. It's. I feel like it's been a really good year, but I'm not sure. I know what the best comics are. Like it's almost better in a shitty year because you're like, oh, well, yeah. 
the good comics were blah and blah and blah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this year, part of me wants to go, well, DC in general have had a really strong year because Rebirth is really did revitalize their line. Young Animal, I think, is really strong. Mm-hmm. And with I think with um, Unfollow and Sheriff at, over at Vertigo, Vertigo's in a relatively strong space as well. Also, the Hanna-Barbera books are surprisingly good. Well, yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's like, that's a surprisingly strong line for DC. Yeah. So much so that I was thinking that earlier on, and I was like, oh, something terrible is going to happen in 2017. <laughs> well, I was going to actually... <laughs> History has shown. Yes. I was going to ask you if you had read, because uh, somebody wrote me and was kind of like, hey, did you see these pieces about... Uh, the one that I read that uh, was the one at, at uh, Heidi's The Beat that was talking about how 2017 is going to be a hard year for comics retailers and people are already incredibly worried. that, that... I I skipped through that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was one of those things where someone pointed it to me and I was like, okay, I'm on deadline for seven different things. But yeah, I, like that's piqued my interest enough. You know, I'll read through it now and I'll go back to it. And then I never went back to it. Mm. Um, I think 2017 is going to be a fucker of a year because I think Marvel's going down. And basically, I think if Marvel goes down, retailers are really in the fucker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's that simple. I think it doesn't matter if DC's having a good year or not. I think if Marvel goes down, then everyone's fucked. Well, what do you mean by goes down? Uh, their sales go into freefall, which is where I think they're heading. If they're not already there, they're they're really close. I mean, they're That's really I mean. close. Like they're yeah, really exactly. close, and yeah. people are just not excited about Marvel books right now. Well, I, I think that so the general gist, that at least this the of my take on on Heidi's article is is that it's really the spine of it is a series of tweets from Joe Field of Flying Colors, who said that the first half of 2016 was incredibly strong and a lot of that had to do with rebirth uh but that the second half just failed to catch fire that they just were not gaining they didn't have any they didn't have any big hits despite arguably um marvel and dc more or less throwing everything at people um well, but the okay but did they i mean Okay, Marvel had Marvel Now. You, it, Marvel launch. had Civil War Two. You can't. Yeah, you, you, which would Civil War Two just died. Yeah, and I mean that's that's a it just it just did Civil War Two died a death. That's a and, and that's and, a big deal. I mean that yeah, is yeah, and, and that killed the enthusiasm deal. for Marvel Now. Yeah, but like, what did DC really throw at people in the second half of this year? Because Rebirth was Rebirth launches were done. By what, July? Uh, well, I don't know. See, I think the thing is... Because if you think about it, the start of the year they had, like in the first half of the year, DC had Rebirth. Mm-hmm. They had the Hanna-Barbera launches. Right. I guess they had Young Animal in the second half of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but Young Animal is just good by Vertigo terms. Like, those yeah, books yeah. So are... Young Animal is not going to be a sales success. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, part of, part of me is like, sure, I mean, that's sort of a level of midlessness. But, uh, but I mean, you know, look at, look at, uh, w- you know, we had Miller and Azarello and Kubert on Dark Knight 3. Um, you know. Yeah, but that was, I mean, in all seriousness, didn't Dark Knight 3 launch a year ago? Well, yeah. And, and, and sure. I just had like maybe, one issue in the last six months? Right. So, I mean, there's... Like, I, we're in Sandman Overture territory with that book now. Well, yeah. I think... I think... 
if if not. Yeah, I guess I was going to say if not worse, but honestly, I think I saw some sales chart thing that made it look like one of the more recent issues actually did do a chart okay. But uh yeah, I I don't again, I'm going with with what Fields saying and yeah. again, well, no, I, I, I Reaper think, started think strong, but it's and I mean it's finishing, it looks like they are it's, settling at numbers that are know, up but aren't like massive. We'll see. That's it. And when rebirth started, it looked massive. There was a lot of money that was being spread around, but things came back down to um, good numbers. I mean, but good numbers yeah, but that, in a bad for it, by um, a bad marketplace. That, yeah. Well. Yeah. You know. But that's when it becomes like. Also, it's, it, know, it is it, worth it, pointing out too, and I mean, you you of course know this, but. But DC is like there's a little bit of a shell game in the fact that their their books they're publishing a lot of the books are being published twice a month, but they're being priced at two ninety nine. So yeah, which is is the problem yeah. for retailers, right? Because retailers' cut of that yeah. is is lower. Mm-hmm. You know, retailers will make more more money on a Marvel book. Publish at three ninety nine or four ninety nine. That's right. Then they'll make it a book, uh, DC book coverage published at two ninety nine. Yeah. And so, given the choice, retailers would rather have a successful D- a Marvel book than a DC book mm-hmm. because they'll make more money on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also we we're in this weird place as um as people who watch the industry, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Because our personal tastes trend towards stop fucking relaunching everything every two seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but without that, things settle into what we're talking about with Rebirth, where they're you know completely respectable numbers, but they're not massive numbers. Right. Which is not good for retailers. And so you end up with, like, for me as a reader mm-hmm. and as a fan... Mm-hmm. I think the fact that DC went essentially four years between big relaunches is a good thing. Well, I I tend to agree with you. Uh, but for retailers, that's terrible. Because well, Marvel's model is better because Marvel gets a big sales bump every year. Well, Mar- like, Marvel's well, sales bump is... Yeah, exactly. And that's the problem. Marvel's bump continues to get smaller and smaller and smaller well, and it's moved but to all, the point And then where, you also hit this year mm-hmm. where... The fans don't want Marvel's relaunch, mm-hmm. right? You know, where you get something like Champions being a success, or whatever the 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 last big launch was a success, basically because Marvel is goosing the numbers. Mm-hmm. Like U.S. Avengers, you can only buy the state variant if you order a certain number of the regular cover, right? And that like that regular number is massive. No, exactly. I remember seeing people talk about that on Twitter that mm-hmm. it's insanely high. Right, but tw- but uh, of course they've been doing that for for Marvel's been doing that for a very sure. long time. You sure, know? Uh, and it, and getting away with it mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the thing. But I think we're hitting the point now where there's so little enthusiasm for from the fans for this mm-hmm. that the retailers are less willing to do it. Um, and it's just I don't know. I don't know where. You know, uh, realistically, I think that Marvel is going to have a, a, a rebound in 2017. Do you? Just because, yeah, just because that's what happens. Hmm. 
Uh, I don't know it will, if it will have a rebound in terms of quality, mm-hmm. but I think it'll have a rebound in terms of sale and in terms of enthusiasm. And I'll be fascinated to see if it's the X-Men books that do it. Mm-hmm. Because the X-Men Resurrection launch is pretty much DC's rebirth model with the file, with the numbers filed off. Mm-hmm. You know, it's explicitly nostalgic. Mm-hmm. It's explicitly more upbeat. And it's playing, it's leaning into the fandom idea of all these characters. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I, I suspect, I suspect Resurrection is going to perform really well for Marvel. Which is a shame for me because I look at those books and I'm left utterly cold because mm-hmm. it's nostalgia for e- eras that I wasn't reading. Right. You know, like Cable and Generation X, great for, you know, someone. Not me. A Jean Grey comic about the Phoenix. Hooray. <laughs> you know, it's like, boof. X-Men Gold and X-Men Blue. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was literally the point where I stopped reading X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um but I think people are already visibly more excited about those books than they are about any of the Marvel Now books. Mm-hmm. You know? And so so we'll see. I don't know. It just... Like, you you have Marvel Unlimited. What Marvel books are you reading on a regular basis there? Uh, oh. um, by Marvel books, I mean contemporary Marvel books. Yeah, see, and this this, this actually is part of my huge caveat about... Um, part of why I wanted to ask you about all this is I'm I'm reading very few contemporary books, kind of from everyone. I've been having a grand old time with the number of Marvel reprints, so that you know, like making my way through like Son of Satan classic, or you know, it goes back to some of the stuff that we were talking about on the, you know, with the cruise where it's like, I'm reading a lot of Kirby's machine man, you know, but, but the stuff that I'm reading on unlimited, like I, I haven't actually, I, I didn't actually break it open. There was one point where I was like, Oh, I should try and read. Like I, I opened it today. Like, Oh, I should read some of this, uh, read some of the Marvel unlimited stuff during my meal, you know, but I, but I kind of totally did not. And frankly, the majority of the stuff that I've got queued up in Marvel Unlimited that I'm looking forward to reading is stuff like I really want to dig into Tomb of Dracula. Like I'm vaguely uh, – the closest thing that I guess I'm reading to Marvel books, contemporary Marvel books, is uh, uh, I'm Squirrel Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reading the current Jeff Lemire incarnation of uh, Moon Knight, which I'm liking a lot. Uh, God, it really is one of those weird, like, after that, it's like, of course, King's vision I thought was tremendous. Um, but let me see here. If I actually look at my books, I, you know, but I think that might honestly be it. That could really Mm -hmm. be where I top out in terms of contemporary Marvel books. You know, you, I, I think it's fair to say that you're much more of a Marvel fan than I am. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think that's fair to say. So, why are you not reading contemporary Marvel books? Uh, I, for myself, I think I just got to a point where, um, I didn't, I did not have faith in the creators. With the exception of, 
like Al Ewing, whose stuff I keep coming back to on Marvel Unlimited. Like I really was like, oh, I should sit down. And now that it's like eight issues or nine issues in for Contest of Champions, I should I should read this because if you wait like two more issues, I think it's done, Jeff. Oh, we'll see. There you go. So you know <laughs> that's how how far behind the times I am. But uh, or or like the Ultimates. You know, I guess I actually have I've got a bunch of Power Man and Iron Fist issues stockpiled, despite our you know, frustration slash disappointment with the first few issues, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for myself, I think that generally, even though they, like, Moon Knight is a character that works really well for me in that the art is gorgeous, Lemire has an idea that he's running with, and the hook that Lemire is running with is, is that Moon Knight is a fractured, broken character. You know, so it's easier actually for me to read it. And of course, I was never really a Moon Knight. Well, I don't know how to, how do I frame this? I was a Moon Knight fan literally while he was in Werewolf by Night. And when he got his own title, I was like, this could be better, you know? So, (laughs) so I'm really out of touch with like the rest of like your traditional exactly. Moon Knight you're, Yeah, you're, you're not yeah. like, I can't believe they're ignoring that one issue by Stephen Grant and, you know, right. Kevin Nolan from 1983. Well, I mean, I mean, sort of more to the point is kind of a, um, I don't have that much skin in the game with the character. So, and because I also think the idea of like, oh, this character is broken, um, it being the take on the character, it's easy for me to sort of read it and be like, yeah, this, this, comports with my take on Moon Knight. Uh, whereas I could see where some people would have a problem with that and or like I'm a much more of a fan of the Vision character. Uh, and so reading King's The Vision was an interest, was a profoundly interesting experience for me because again, the idea that I was like, this isn't exactly the character. This isn't really quote unquote my vision you know, but my vision for the vision. But but one of the things that I really appreciated about what King was doing is the whole story is in many ways about people attempting to reinvent themselves and failing, you know, yeah. or succeeding, you know. And, and so, again, it, it's a little bit, you know, because you and I have talked, there's varying degrees of this sort of weird squeamishness that I get while reading like say Dan Slott's Spider-Man, you know, I just find myself being my problem with the Marvel characters is, is essentially that I love them too much and for too long. And, and at a certain point, uh, and I, I've, you know, I've said this, uh, God help us all innumerable times. There was a point where in the new Marvel era, People had different takes on the characters, but what also helped was the universe was splintered, and so it didn't matter for me. I was kind of like, oh, this is kind of all like reading everyone's like alternate takes on the characters. Like it didn't really feel like – It's lots of fanfic. Yeah. I mean it's – or in some cases, if you had someone who didn't like the character, it wasn't necessarily fanfic, but it was an attempt to – do something different with a character and you could get away with it because it wasn't always constantly being fucking tied back into whatever the event was. Once the civil war kicked in and they started rebooting the events and then those became much 
uh, faster, the rapidity with which that picked up. Uh, and also, again, for me, character people who were Bendis or writing like Bendis, where I was like, ah, this is not really, again, it's just not my take on the characters. So I, you know, I, ironically, it's always been easier for me to jump on and off of DC because I don't really care as much about the characters. Like even Batman, who I dearly love, I am able to, I don't really have a definitive take that I have some sort of huge tie to, you know? And so, so Marvel doesn't really work for me. The unlimited stuff or the stuff that I'm reading on Comixology is, is either stuff like Squirrel Girl where I have no history with the character whatsoever and therefore there's nothing getting in the way of me appreciating just the goddamn brilliance of the book. Um, and or characters where again, I'm able to, to, to take what's happening at face value because I don't necessarily, because themes just, because it thematically meshes with me, you mm -hmm. know, but, um, you know, even something like, again, you, you know, people had to deal with, uh, me, us complaining about Karnak, um, you know, just a few episodes ago, Karnak is a character where he is not like it starts where I'm like, okay, that's barely Karnak. I can exactly. Kind He's of see pretty much it's... unrecognizable as yeah, the character it, has existed before. Exactly, but I'm like, which was my real problem with the the Fraction Hawkeye series. Mm, right. I was like, I can recognize that this is a great series, but that is not Hawkeye. Right. Right. Exactly. And the closer you are to sort of a fan of the previous iteration of of Hawkeye, kind of the harder that can or can't be for you to to make that jump you know um and sometimes i feel like again when wade started in on daredevil part of what he had working for him was very much this idea of i'm making a break with the series with the way the character's been approached and it's going to work because the character is trying to make a break with the way that he has been and it's yeah and yeah. it's very deliberate and at that point it's like oh okay these things so there's kind of a weird, like, I need the necessity for the reboot in some cases, you know? Uh, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's an odd, it's an odd thing. But for myself, Marvel is just, I, it's just, I came back from the boycott and I buy the stuff, but most of its collections, a lot of it is, I, I still don't, it's weird. I have that weird, like, I do not trust them. I don't, I don't trust their, publishing i don't trust the editorial end of things i kind of don't trust a lot of the talent you know i feel like a lot of the talent will do what is best for the for their story or their twist or their sales and i don't think that they have a lot of um uh, fidelity to the characters which you know is fine like i also got to that point where i'm like Eh, who cares? You know, like I, I, I'm aware of the ways in which those things get in the way of telling a good story. And part of me is like, hey, if you're telling a good story that appeals to people like, you know, God go with you. I grew up during an era where you kind of toyed with doing both. You know, you toyed yeah, with, that, you know, you, we the the, Mar the Marvel of our youth. Yeah. Which are, which are, you know, a decade apart. Mm -hmm. But Fidelity as a character was primary. Yeah. 
Exactly. The fidelity to the character was primary, and then the way that you built stories, and as we see, thanks to the miracle of covering something like Baxter Building, and I think, you know, where I think that really reinforces it, the idea, but probably for the majority of a lot of the Marvel books at the same time as whatever era and Baxter Building were reading, um, you know, you get to er eras or runs where fidelity to the character or um, bl blocks the ability to move forward or do something new or interesting with the characters. Uh, and so I'm aware that there's a problem, but when it works well, which is why, you know, we end up worshiping at the, at the temple of Engelhart um, right next to main worshiper, Steve Engelhart himself uh, is <laughs> that Engelhart was really able to do a very pleasing job of, moving the ball forward, taking established continuity and using it as building blocks and or weird new ways to to weave it into the narrative. It's kind of the thing that we sort of talk about like Tom Scioli doing in like Transformers vs. G.I. Joe or even in those three pages of superpowers where he can yeah, take yeah. a ridiculously disparate number of um, influences and continuity concepts and weave them together and create exciting juxtapositions, you know? Um, I, I, I find myself wanting to spin off this. I was looking this week on uh, Twitter on Wednesday just to see what comics people are talking about. Mm -hmm. And I saw a lot of people have a a really strongly negative reaction to Champions. Yeah. I think it was Champions issue three. Uh, uh, was it three? I thought it was the first issue. I'm so not paying attention. No, no, it's... it's I, Are I they up to issue, issue three, three already? Jesus yeah, like, Christ. Uh, I think so. Maybe it's issue two. Dude, don't I, look I, at I, me. I was like, oh, everyone's really I, right, reacting to this right first now, issue of Champions. Uh, no, Champions issue three. Um, But I was like, I, I wonder, I wonder why this is. Because I don't know if you remember. In fact, you probably don't if you think it was this was the first issue. Um, issue two ended with a uh, a kiss between the Hulk and Viv Vision, mm -hmm. and that being like, oh, dramatic. And issue three starts with a scene that is so astoundingly cynical, mm -hmm. like breathtakingly cynical. What, why don't uh, you tell me? Because I saw some of the reactions, but I, I, didn't I, see I, the I'm page. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, I, but not only that, also shows that um, there are ways to write a book like Champions is being positioned to be. Mm -hmm. And there are ways not to write it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and for that matter, there are creators, and I, I say this as someone who likes a lot of Mark Wade's work. Mm -hmm. uh, we should be doing it and there are creators who shouldn't and Mark Wade should not be writing this book and should not be writing this book the way he's writing it definitely the opening three pages of Champions which I found via like Comixology I just checked the preview in Comixology oh funny uh, is the first page is a retread of the previous issues cliffhanger which again was full page splash which is Viv and Amadeus Joe Hulk kissing uh huh Followed by them walking it back literally immediately. By Viv going, I just want to see what it's like to kiss someone. It was bad. And Amethyst Joe being like, well, you don't kiss well either. And then the woman, and then Viv goes, maybe I'm bisexual or lesbian. 
To which Ms. Marvel goes, don't look at me. I shit you not. That's actually what happens. Then the male characters ask Amadeus Cho what she was like to kiss. Oh, man. Right? Mm. And it's like, this is terrible. Yeah, that's like, really this, bad. This is, this is just atrocious. Wow. That, it's really us. That's three pages of a 20-page comic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and I think what people were really reacting to was not just like the clumsiness and the, the horrificness of that, but that apparently afterwards it gets into um, the, the story is let's save a character who is I, I want to say she's Pakistani. Yes, and there's a whole we're international. Hey, one of our characters is Pakistani as well, and she's like, I'm not just Pakistani, I'm American as well. I care for the world. We're the future, and it's just like, oh no. Right. Oh no, this is terrible. Yeah. No, I, I that was a page that someone posted where I was like, "Wow, this is really awkward and bad." Yeah. Uh That's interesting. It's interesting. I'm fascinated by the extent that Wade is like a dude you cannot bet on. You know what I mean? Like another thing I read this week was the second collection of his Archie. Mm-hmm. And Archie just continues to be a joy. Right. I mean, so it makes sense. You're like, oh, okay, the champions should kind of be a slam dunk for him. And that just sounds so, the hamstrung. Like, the page that I saw was so incredibly but, but awkward as, as, and bad. But as bad as that, that is, mm-hmm. I guarantee you the first three pages are even worse. Because it is literally this walk back the kiss with such speed that they, Mark Wade pretty much walks on on page to go, it was a cynical, like, cliffhanger for the for an issue. Like, it's I, do, I have no faith in my own cliffhanger for that. Mm-hmm. I put this just to get people talking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. to go from that to, maybe I'm a lesbian, don't look at me. Hey, dude, what did she kiss like? What? I mean, what is this fucking superhero grease? No! <laughs> this is not the type of fucking synthesoid. <laughs> Summer loving. It's. Wow, shit. I mean, it's just. It's so cynical. It's such a cynical. uh, It feels like the entire book, like the entire series, I should say, Mm -hmm. is. Was um, the result of. We should have this property. This is an important property for us to have in the marketplace. As opposed to. I have an idea for a comic. Mm hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's, I mean, it's not surprising in any way. Well, again, I think part of the, the surprise about it, better. part of the surprise, I think, is again, when Wade gets involved, like, there's that sort of, because uh, there are times where Wade surprises the hell out of everyone. And, you know, it, it like, He'll do Daredevil, and everyone's like, holy shit, this is amazingly good. Then he moves on to Hulk, and everyone's like, oh, this is going to be great. And it's just, you know, it's 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 horrible. He is is, uh, increasingly unreliable. Yeah. Like, you you never know which Wade you're going to get. Exactly. Are you going to get the Wade that does uh, Archie, or are you going to get the Wade that does Champions? Are you going to get the Wade that does Daredevil? Or are you going to get the one that does, you know, Jesus... uh, you know, his strange fruits. Yeah, or strange fruit. You know, uh, but what's interesting is like you get things like Hulk, which was 
Hulk wasn't even actively bad. Hulk was a series of really interesting ideas, none of which ever came to fruition. <laughs> disagree. <laughs> disagree strongly. <laughs> We've been through yeah, this at length, Graham. This is the, like, it was like Wade had ideas, but it was clearly the, he stopped by, you know, the Marvel offices, the editors like, hey, you want to write the Hulk? He's like, yes, absolutely. They're like, what are you going to do with it? Uh, spitballs a bunch of ideas. Oh yeah, that sounds good. Do it. And then he he, he either can't care or he can't, it doesn't come together. There's okay, problems I, with I the guess, artist, but I mean, I, I guess think I'm Cody. drawing I'm drawing a line between that and like something like Champions or something like Strange Fruit, which are bad comics. Like, don't even have interesting ideas in them. Well, I you know someone on Twitter David said, and I think maybe it was David Uzumeri, might have said. Um, good intentions, Wade is the best is the worst. Mark Wade, you know, like when he's like telling a story, and he's just doing a ripping yarn, it's very good. When he's trying to be like, and now let me tell you about racism, it's like, <laughs> you know, Mark so. Wade is starch. I'm sorry, he's what? Stark. Wow. I don't know. Jeff, you've gone. I, I haven't gone, Graham. You've gone. You're the, you're the <laughs> goer. You're the one that, like, Twitter cut out twice. I mean, um, Skype you're, cut out you're twice. The you're, you're the, the puppet. You're the puppet. No, you're the puppet. No, you're the puppet. <laughs> you're the, see, this is the other reason why we're fucked. Cause I do think there's a lot to be said to, to turn this all back to the horror that is Donald Trump is, uh, everyone loved imitating that guy. You know what I mean? Like, again, it's just that goddamn, he was way more charismatic in an anti-charismatic way. Like, people, everyone could do a Donald Trump imitation by, what, like, the summer? And everyone did. I did it. Everyone well, no, that, else, yeah, that's you just know. Like every, everyone on Twitter is like, I'm going to say things with exclamation points and finish it with sad. Yes, Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, we can all, you can be Donald Trump too. That was the thing. No one, we've been through this before. No one took him seriously. Uh, well, there, clearly there are some people who did, but I think to me, there's something different about than that. Like, cause I remember, uh, some dude, like it might have been Timothy Oliphant, maybe. Is that right? Is it Pat Oliphant? Who said that the, it never fails the, person who wins president is the one who's the most fun to draw you know because political cartoonists just can't help themselves if the character if if a politician is fun to draw they will draw him they'll draw him to critique him they'll draw him to praise him but it's very much this idea of like they just the president is that weird level of they're a celebrity, but they're not. They appeal to us at a level that is appealable, you know, and which is part of the reason why the media is um, so frustrating in these in these sorts of situations. But yeah, once you can, you know, you can do Donald Trump as a cartoon and once it being the thing of like everyone doing him. You know, it's, I don't know this, you probably didn't have this experience, but I remember the point at which Every one of my friends started doing Homer Simpson impersonations. Like, I think it was maybe the first season of The Simpsons, right? And I was like, okay, well, this show has won. 
you know, because once you have something <laughs> that everyone's like, it pays enough attention to make fun of or, or, you know, to do their own take on, then you get to the situation of it's, I, you know, again, it's just viral marketing at that point. You know? Yeah. So uh, one thing I wanted to talk about, there's there's actually a few books that I wanted to mention uh, that I read. Um, well, I'll leave I'll leave one aside, but I, I wanted to say I had the very strange and unique experience. I, in case you were wondering, I did enjoy the first two volumes of By the Numbers. Uh, something else that I had been intensely curious to read uh, is Shadow Eyes. Are you familiar with it? I am not. I don't think I've ever heard of it before. What is Shadow Eyes, Jeff? Shadow Eyes is Sophie Campbell's book for uh, being published via Comixology Unlimited. And I can't quite tell if at, at, at a certain point there are covers in the background that make it seem like maybe the, uh, this volume, and it's a 363-page uh, Holy volume. shit! Yeah, is is it's a three hundred sixty three wow. page book written and drawn uh, by Sophie Campbell, and she does the co coloring with um, ba 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 Aaron Watson. And uh, you know, my experience with Sophie Campbell's work is is pretty slight. Like I remember, kind of disparaging a volume of wet moon that I read in the store like a bajillion years ago for the cyber critics website. Cause I was like, eh, it's kind of, it's kind of like Jaime Hernandez's work, but somehow like I just, I found it weirdly creepier. Like, cause what, wet moon was very much like, I felt like Campbell, uh, who was at that point, uh, identified as a male, uh, was drawing, um, women that he was kind of in love with or obsessed with. So it was fetishistic, but it was also sort of a day slice of life type stuff. Um, and yet weirdly I was like, yeah, this is, huh, why do I like, like Jaime Hernandez's work, but this work strikes me as a little strange and off. Anyway, Shadow Eyes now that Campbell is Sophie Campbell and, you know, had gone on to do some really remarkable work uh, with Joe Keating on Glory, as you may recall. Shadow Eyes is a 363-page volume. It is not a com complete story in itself. Like, it literally ends on uh, a, a trifecta of a cliffhanger. But it's essentially... I guess the the way that I would describe it is as if Ariel Schrag had created Spawn. Um, that sounds mind-bending. Yeah, it kind of is. It takes place in the city of Dranek in the year 2000X, and it is a post-apocalyptic multi-urban mess in which... Uh, uh, it starts with two girl, two high school girls on lying on the bed doing their homework and talking about being crime fighters because one of them, Scout, is driven to help people and uh, puts on puts on a hood and mask to go uh, beat up bad guys. And you actually see her more or less getting her ass kicked. 
And then she proceeds to somehow mysteriously gain superpowers that sort of spawn-like end up turning her into kind of a strangely demonic um, bug-eyed creature, I suppose. Like, um, and yet it goes on to be hundreds of pages of, even after she turns into a monster, she uh, continues to fight with her girlfriends uh, and hang out on uh bed their bed together and talk about crushes that they have at one point a an incredibly cute character named sparkle gets kidnapped by a strange zombie girl and the hunt for shadow eyes to go and find her and retrieve her the thing that's crazy about it is is that like i i say that it i i say ariel shrag and i don't know if that necessarily helps anyone you can it also has a very strangely similar vibe to some of Hannah Blumenreich's Spider-Man comics if you can imagine Hannah Blumenreich doing Spawn there's no devil involved but the character is quote unquote dark becomes a creature of the darkness can't be exposed to the light uh, originally more or less fakes her own death so that her mother you know, because she doesn't want her mother to know that she's a monster and ends up living on the streets of this futuristic city. And yet there's lots of her, she becomes, now that she has these powers and she becomes a superhero, she goes about like fighting gangs. But even though she can't, most of the time she's quote unquote on patrol and can't find them. So it's a lot of her like rescuing animals and helping kids with their homework as you and I both recognize from Blumenreich's work, there's a sequence where she finds a lost kid uh, who and, and helps uh, the kid find their way home to their parents. Mm. So there's a lot of definition of what it's like to be a superhero. Like Campbell is taking that in this idea of like, here's someone who wants to be engaged with the community, but there's a lot of constant challenging of... Does what running, does that mean? yeah, what does that mean? Does running around and punching people in the face, uh, really help anyone or anything? Like, what happens if you come across a truly evil person? Should they be killed? When do you decide that? Who gets to decide? And meanwhile, isn't it better to like help animals and kids, you know? And, but the weird thing about it too, Graham, is once Scout turns into this, blue and black thing that sort of looks again like i my uh, it's very much a, a a sort of semi cutesy semi not version of uh of an image character is the number of scenes in which the character who can't turn back to a human being is being flirted with by each of the other characters in the book like, not all of them, not the mother character or whatever, but once uh, Shadow Eyes rescues Sparkle, and Sparkle is a ridiculously cute teenage girl who's obsessed with um, basically a My Pretty Pony version of Magic the Gathering, uh, and is like, oh, I gotta teach you, you know, like, we've, you rescued me, we have to be best friends now. And the sequences where they're hanging out and talking about school or talking about um, 
you know, things like someone says something and they're like, oh, that's so cute. And it's like, no, I think it's really stupid. It really is this obsessive take on trying to catch the way that young kids speak. And again, but there's also something, I don't know how to describe it. You know, that idea of the superhero as being kind of an ideal, you know, as a wish fulfillment figure. What's interesting is the way that Campbell turns around and reinvests that idea with a little bit of like, it's almost, even though the character looks like Spawn, um, she's treated almost like Superman by everyone in these various project buildings uh, in that a, she's great, but also everyone's kind of in love with her. Like there's a whole sequence where her best friend's boyfriend also becomes motivated to go out and start fighting crime, which is more or less like beating up on gang members who are beating up on kids and smacking them with a crowbar. And then he and shadow eyes start teaming up and then he's attracted to her and holding her hand, which is really like this big black power claw type thing. It's, it's really odd. It's the, again, it's the opposite of cynical. It, I, there's part of me that I'm like, uh, it's feels, it, it feels less weird than the wet moon stuff is because, um, I think it's easier for me to see the ways in which Campbell, I mean, apart from the fact that there are transgender characters, uh, in the book, um, there's also a, there's just, I don't know, there's a certain, there's a certain wish fulfillment in the book that, that sort of maneuvers it, um, makes it less, I suppose, skeevy, even though it seems fetishistic. And it also feels like an amazing piece of outsider art, you know, in that sense, because it's a superhero comic that is not, that might have a long sequence again, when, uh, Shadow Eyes ends up fighting some of these like gang members or the big punch up with the zombie girl that is maybe some sort of biogenetic mutation that's been created by some sort of evil corporation. Maybe like it's so minimal and pared down, but the fight scene itself is kind of a, it, it's less of a superhero fight scene. And even though these are characters with superpowers and more of a kind of, um, thuggish street fight sort of sequence. It's it's sure. really an odd book. I enjoyed it. Um, it was also kind of at some points when you get to like the fifteenth or sixteenth conversation of people on their beds talking about homework or whatever, kind of um, exhausting. But really, uh, it's like it's a very weird take on the superhero. You know. Do you know what it honestly reminds me of just from hearing you talking about it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't. Parts of it remind me of um, Street Angel. Yeah, right. Actually, Street Jim Angel. Like Street Angel. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel that Street Angel is one of these books that has ended up being amazingly influential. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It could, I mean, yes, I think I think there's something to be said for that. I, For me, I think the difference is that Street Street Angel has, as I as I remember it, the it has the character and the situations, but it doesn't really go especially deep. 
You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's... no, no, I, I think it purposely didn't. But in in, in terms of the uh, the readdressing of the the the, the tropes, the, yeah, the I, I, and the and turning the tropes towards something that is more mundane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I think so. Except again, it really it goes to Ariel Shrag like lengths of. Um, copious documentation of who likes who and why one person doesn't want to be friends with another person. Again, it's like, do you want to read Spawn if it was a young adult novel for teen girls? Like, this is the book for you. Uh, immensely strange. And and so, part of me is also like, that sounds awesome. It, I mean, it, it doesn't yeah. sound like something I want to read, but it sounds like something that should exist. Oh, Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I'm glad it's out there. I mean, that's part of why I picked it up. I, I want to say I picked it up on a Comixology Unlimited sale, or not an unlimited sale, but Comixology Submit sale. So, uh, did you say something? I feel like I cut you off or Skype cut out. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I, 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 I am just, I'm in... Uh, I don't think I'd ever buy that book, but I am so glad that that book is out there to buy. Yes. Mode. Yeah, yeah, no, and I agree. I'm really glad that I read it. Part of me is really like the, uh, I'm so exhausted by it. But will I buy volume two when it comes out? If it comes <laughs> out, like, I probably will. I probably will. Um, yeah, I guess it's good to read books that you don't, uh, not that are outside your comfort zone so much as like just books that you don't expect. Mm-hmm. I got uh, something in the mail today that I don't think I ever would have picked up myself, mm-hmm. but I'm really looking forward to reading. Mm-hmm. Um, the Abominable Mr. Seabrook by Joe Allman, which is coming out next month apparently. Huh. Uh, I will read you the blurb and you will be like, huh. William Seabrook's journalism was the lost generation's connection to the world's most fascinating cultures. He rode camels across the Sahara Desert and lived with kings. He communed with cannibals and famously tasted the flesh of a fellow human. He drank goat's blood while participating in voodoo ceremonies and perhaps most notably popularized the term zombie in the West. Hmm. But of course his life wasn't all high adventure. There were darker sides too. Seabrook was a barely functioning alcoholic who was deeply obsessed with bondage and the pseudo-mystical properties of pain and degradation. His life was a series of travelling highs and drunken lows, of climbing on and falling off the wagon again and again. Hmm. What led to the popular vivid writers in such a state? Does that not sound fascinating? Yeah, it really does, I have to say. I'm like, and, yeah. uh, it's by a woman whose stuff I am not familiar with at all. He did midlife and has glowing reviews from NPR, the LA Times, the Comics Journal and the National Post. Mm-hmm. Um, the book looks to me Vaguely D- Dylan Horrocksy, hmm. and I like I I saw that and I was like I don't think I ever would have picked it up on my own, but I am incredibly excited to read it. Hmm. Hmm. That does sound quite interesting. I gotta say, yeah, no, it's I mean, and so that's that's this weird thing is is like it's very easy for me as we you know worry about the comics industry or there's worries that retailers are going to start going under because they're not kept aloft by a raft of Star Wars titles or whatever, where I'm like, there's a lot of really good stuff out there. Like I've been reading good a lot of good stuff out comics that, that are just, you know, um, I think I had started with Southern bastards, the individual issues and had fallen off. And, uh, on the cruise, I read the first two volumes, uh, as trades 
digital digitally and then um picked up the third volume when it was as part of some image sale or whatever and that's just i don't know that's like it's interesting i can see why i wasn't why i trailed off on the singles but it's it's actually quite enjoyable to read as part of a larger collected piece i sometimes wonder if this is part of the problem is that is that comics are really stuck in this place of like there's a lot of people who want to read the trades do not want to buy the individual issues you know and or again there's services like marvel unlimited where it's like yeah i'll wait until some of this stuff stuff comes out unless i really like it like something like moon knight which i picked up i don't remember like they were 99 cent issues or something like that and i was like oh, okay this is good enough i'm going to buy the back issues and i'm going to subscribe you know um but again digitally too which is not like i have this whole thing like oh jesus am i the problem like is that going to be 2017's you know comic headline you know is like the comics jeff industry is the, is the toilet jeff's the problem yeah exactly mr boycott why not lester his uh you know Reaped untold damage <laughs> oh, on the mainstream. That really should be a t-shirt, <laughs> shouldn't it? But but it's like I have real problems with the you're the problem. Well, with, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most retail, you know, how do I put like, most customers should, do? Yeah. Should, yeah, what's wrong with wanting to read it the way you want to read it? Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I mean, apart from the fact is part of the reason why there's so much good comics that are out there is a there was a lot of amazing stuff that's coming back into print. And there's also a lot of stuff that's underwritten by serialization. Serialization is a great way for new content to come out and sort of be, I don't know, road tested or, you know, but, but it is also getting to the point where it's like, but if that's not what's keeping the industry afloat, like you can, you can only harangue your your customers into a subpar experience for some lo so long before it gets undercut. I feel like that is the lesson. Like people like bless his heart Brian Hibbs, who spent a lot of time being like, ha ha ha, digital didn't take us out; it just made it stronger because people love this genuine reading experience of ha holding a physical copy in their hands. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But they, if they also want the complete product and they don't want to pay for serialization. Like, there's got to be ways that we can start addressing that, you know? And, again, very, it's very problematic. We look at, you know, the huge success of stuff like manga, which is serialized in very inexpensive formats that, you know, that can be underwritten by, uh, 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 at least by contrast to us, incredibly hardy readership base. Um, you know, that's changed a lot in Japan itself over the years, but the model itself, when it works, you know, and also because they're anthology titles, you can have something like people who pick up jump just to be able to read, um, uh, one note every week or every other week. And, you know, consequently a bunch of other titles are also underwritten that way and very carefully pruned and tailored and, then hopefully made into successes and packaged. Like, I just have this weird feeling of, I don't, I don't think it's interesting to me that Comixology Unlimited, Marvel Unlimited, none of those have quite done to the comics industry 
what, say, Uber did to the taxi industry or, like, I don't know, Airbnb did to the hotel industry or really the rental industry. But those – but it is vulnerable, you know. It is vulnerable because when you have people who are like, no, this is the best way for it to be done because it's the best way that suits everybody – you know, but the customers, then you start falling into some real problems. And I think that is one of the things that's very scary is, is that as people get kind of, they're not so into Marvel, but a lot of them ended up over at DC Rebirth. But if they cool off of that, and the fact is a lot of the image titles seem to have, I don't know, image seems to have settled into some sort of baseline. We're not hearing as much from them, or it doesn't seem like we're seeing as many, dramatic hits as we used to, it does make you wonder, like, what's going to happen next? You know, what what can yeah. happen I, next? I, it, it's interesting to say that, because the image is, like, weirdly quiet, right? Mm-hmm. It feels And it's to not me. like image books are bad. Like, I still love the image books I love, but Southern Bastards is a great example. Yeah. You know? Wicked and Divine is also a great book. Like there's there's lots of there's there's image books that I enjoy. There's image saga is, is still saga is still saga. Right. And you know and I mean? and for me, I mean, uh, Killer Be Killed uh, by Brubaker and uh, Phillips is I think some of the best stuff that they've done. Um, I think they're I think they've kind of crept up a notch in terms of doing at least doing stuff that really clicks for me. And again, it, Killer Be Killed, which I was planning on talking about next week as part of the best of is almost weirdly it's not unlike shadow eyes it's a strange reinvention of the superhero comic you know uh but let's we will get to that i guess um i it's funny because you said that and i was like yeah i'm i'm so done with Baker and phillips right now <laughs> i guess i i, I, I not for any other reason other than I I feel like I I've read enough of their comics to know their tricks. I think I think there's some new stuff here. I think there's not. It's not dramatically new stuff. It's how do I put it? I just feel like they're refining it and they're getting a bit better. I mean, on the other hand, I also enjoyed like literally eleven twelfths of their their Hollywood noir book. Oh, the fade out. The fade out. Yeah. Like that was an incredibly enjoyable reading experience for me last year. And I guess a chunk of this year, you know, up until last issue where I was like, uh, wow, we just, huh. Okay. Well, all right. You know, but killer. I can't can't remember. It might've been Appy that that said this. Someone the other day basically was like, I really liked Ed Brubaker's Velvet until the end, which he really fucked. And my first thought was Velvet's over. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for two reasons. One, Baker does have a tendency to like Biffy's own endings, uh, and two, I I remember really liking Velvet. It started, and I honestly forgot that comic existed. Oh yeah, right. Whereas I didn't think that it was that great uh, myself. I was like, eh, no, I'm not into it. And then I want to say I read like two volumes. Like again, picked them up really cheap, and I was like. It's enjoyable enough. I mean, that's the thing. For me, Brew Baker is one of those guys. We were talking last week about uh, Ennis and Ellis and and uh, sort of disappointment or what happened to that guy who used to be cool or whatever. I think I I enjoy what Brew Baker 
does. He does kind of like biff his endings a lot, but but I enjoy, I enjoy him getting to there, and I also enjoyed the fact that again, he and Phillips are kind of a building a bookshelf of similar yes. works. Yeah, well, you yeah. know, they, they definitely are, are. They know what they're doing, and they have a market for it. Yeah, exactly. So, and and I like that they that they have stuck to it. So, um, but yeah, image uh, image has lots of little things that people are like, oh yeah, saga. But maybe because saga's in, you know, issue forty whatever, that people are kind of like, oh yeah, saga. You know, that is also well, something like, that Abe I, I, had said. I think was that idea of like he was surprised that the image guys all kind of kept doing series like taking their series and continuing to do like super long basically kind of doing the vertigo model of it of like oh, i'm gonna do a huge multi-paperback yeah. arc. i'm gonna do my epic yeah exactly rather than kind of his like no you do something and then you come out with a new number one because you come out with a new thing you just keep doing new stuff and that's that's what excites people and i'm kind of like uh, that's maybe what excites people for the, you know, for the number one for the previews. But when you're actually making the majority of your money off of trades, like people are into series, you know, in that way, if you can hook them. So anyway, sorry, you, you, you were saying. I can't even remember what I was saying anymore, Jeff. <laughs> I was going to say, so I know genuinely I was going to say something about image and I, it's gone. Yeah, do you think it's they've been gone from my brain? Quiet, just because everyone's moving to Portland, of which they are—they are, they are uh, the, you know, uh, a prime uh, example. I, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I do because part of me is also like, have they really been quiet, or is it going to be like as soon as we get into 2017, they're like Image Expo, <laughs> and then we go through our traditional like, let's say that our annual Eric Stevenson gets up on stage, announces 17 new comics. Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, they all sound the same, you know, like we do every year and have done for the last four years. Right. Is it literally that we just think they're quiet? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are they not really being quiet? You mean, I mean well, Think about it. Like, Motor Crush came out this week, last week? Well, this week, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, it's just a super fun comic. It, mm-hmm. It's really good. It's it's unlike the other Image comics. It's It's not... It doesn't feel like I think you saying like people trying to do their own vertical comic is really on point. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like people trying to do their own vertical comic. It feels much more um, pop and throwaway, mm-hmm. and, and in many ways feels like the logical next step from their Batgirl run. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think whereas before people would have been like Image does it again this time, either people aren't talking about it or going, oh, it's the Batgirl team. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like the pendulum has swung away from image as an entity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which might be why we think image is quiet. Yeah, could be. Could be. Yeah. I, which might be, might, on the one hand, again, is one of those deals of, you got to pay attention to, I guess, what kind of narrative you're being sold. You know, is if image is doing, is is less monolithic than what we were rolling our eyes about, you know, over that succession of various expos, then maybe that's a very good thing, you know, even if it doesn't necessarily mean that they are quote unquote dominating the industry or whatever. But what does dominating the industry even mean anymore? Well, exactly. 
I mean, what does this, this is what we should be saving this shit until our year ends. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, we're part, just like yeah. 2016. What the fuck comics? Yeah. But then that could just like be mapped onto 2016. What the fuck? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I appreciate comics ability to stick with the zeitgeist and it's like, Oh yeah. Dumpster fire. <laughs> someone i can't remember where i saw this now someone had uh a gift that was a literally a truck that was on fire rolling down a hill oh yeah and they were like they're like this is 2016 now he's like it kind of is yeah yeah it kind of is it totally was great there was also someone who actually took a had a photo of uh of a of a trash dumpster on fire and put that in as uh times person of the year as a cover, and I thought that was also <laughs> kind of pretty great. As I was like, ah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Graham McMillan, I think in theory, were we managed to talk? Oh, I, you know, I suppose I wanted to talk. Well, I don't think we have it. If you'd had something to say, you would have said it. But any thoughts about Fanographic Superhero Line? Uh, yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> right. Um, on I. What's very funny is I said on Twitter. I feel like it's 1996 again. And what I meant was the era when everyone seemed to be launching a superhero line for no reason. Mm-hmm. Like, remember when Dark Horse were like, Dark Horse Legend! Yeah, and everyone's yeah, yeah. like, what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people behind the line of comics responded, were like, our 1984! Because that's the, like, that's their, mm. like, uh, aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's super interesting to me. It's interesting... It's interesting to me that it's not actually a superhero line. Like, it's been missold. It's six comics. Yeah. yeah you know? Yeah. I right. totally see why they're positioning a superhero line. They got a shit ton of headlines that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Yes. But it's six comics by a bunch of creators who have basically been working in this uh, somewhere between parody and homage space for a while. Yeah, that's sort of... Uh, with, the, with the addition of Al Milgram... Which blows my fucking mind. Yeah, that is kind of amazing, right? So um, the other thing that's fascinating about it is you saw that it's uh, one of the people who came up with the idea is the director of the Smells Like Teen Spirit video. Yes, although it sounds like he's more of a. It's his. It's like the two brothers, and one of them is yeah, it's and one of two, and yeah. the other brother is writing it. Yeah, yeah, and it kind of seemed like oh, I'm the guy who's like the. I'm the face, you know, so, but yeah. yeah I, I'm the face who made the Smasla Teen Spirit video 25 years ago. Yeah, but, you know, come on. But all I'm saying ago. is, if that's your leading credit. I have, uh, the, uh, it is one of many, I don't know, what, oh, you mean the person's leading credit? You mean yeah. if that's the leading, maybe that's the credit that they ch- deliberately chose. Isn't that the same guy who directed, uh, God, why do I feel like he actually directed a movie or two? Um, he probably, yeah. You know, what's his name again? Uh, Sam Bear. Samuel. Samuel Bear. Right. What else has he done? Uh, he's done a lot of music videos. Oh, gosh. Uh, a lot of music videos. Holy <laughs> shit! I mean, really, he did no rain for Blind Melon. That should be oh his wow. One. See, there you go. Uh, he did zombie for the cranberries. Uh, oh, well, there, the there you have it. Their yeah. bombs and their bombs and their guns. It, it looks like he. He also directed the 2010 Nightmare on, on Elm, Elm Street. Street. Yeah, which seems to be the seems to be the big thing. 
that's not like, you know, that's not videos. Oh, well. Interesting. So you can see, like, A, the guys continued to work. B, there's been a variety of stuff that, in theory, they could point to. You know, I just, I think that they were like, oh, let's do this one, because that clearly stokes the, the sweet spot of, I mean, they're... Well, it, kind of, yeah. it kind of hits the right level of nostalgia. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, a it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's an interesting, I hope the comics are good. <laughs> I, I, I was I was more interested when I thought it was actually a line. Right. Put it that way. Yes. Yeah, yeah it was a line or when you see the column. A, like multiple ongoing mm-hmm. comics. That's mm-hmm. more interesting to me than six issues because six issues means it's the millennial version of 1963. Wow. There's there's a there's the take on it that we needed. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's exactly what the, what we're talking about. Although who knows? Hopefully we'll we'll get lucky, and um, you know it's going to lead with all those characters coming in to have a showdown with the classic fanographic characters like Buddy Bradley, <laughs> and, and then that, 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 but that'll never be published. We'll see. That's it. It's the lead in is that, and then and then the it's supposed to lead into an annual, and you never have it. That's that's what they got to do to really crush it, Graham. Let's face it. And then after that. The, the bears or mares or whatever their last name are can fall out with all their artists and none of the characters will ever appear again and Steve Bissett can write sad blogs. <laughs> yeah, but in this case it would be like Benjamin Mara, which would be great. Again, just keep, keep it updated. <laughs> oh man, now we've got to map them. <laughs> yeah. Steve Bissett? Or is he the Don Simpson? Come on. Uh, is that John Simpson in this arrangement? It's, it's, it's so funny. I mean, I don't really know. I, it's, I'm like just throwing the fact that you've got Al Milgram and some of the last work by Herb Trimpey in there. I'm like. The, the last work by Herb Trimpey. The, the last work by Herb Trimpey. I mean, at that point, you're just. It, that it also becomes, makes me wonder, how long have these comics been in the works? Well. Early last year. Yeah, that that one in particular made me gave me pause in that sense of like, huh, this is either this has been going, you know, a long way. Yeah, like this this has been in the the hopper for a while, maybe. So, ah, <sighs> Graham McMillan. Next week is our last installment episode of the year, and we will be talking about you will be talking about the best comics of the year, and I'll probably just be talking about the best comics that I read, many of which were probably. 30 or 40 years old. So, And we'll also be telling you why the comics industry is fucked and what we've got to look forward to in 2017. <laughs> which will be me just telling everyone to read the Flintstones some more. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I look forward to our Flintstones discussion. That is true. In, in the meantime, this is where I tell everyone that you can find show notes for this episode at waitwhatpodcast.com, as well as written posts by Matt Terrell, who's keeping the fire aloft. I know that's not the phrase, but that's what we're going with. Um, <laughs> there's also a Tumblr, waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. There is a Twitter account, at waitwhatpodcasts. Jeffrey Lester has his own Twitter account, at lazybastid, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. Although, he tweets... Rarely these days, because his day job is slowly killing him. (laughs) (laughs) My Twitter account, at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are also, thank you very much for everyone who has participated in this, a Patreon-supported podcast. 
And when I see Patreon, Jeff says, I say, yes, we, a wonderful group of people are managed to make this all possible. Um, because of them, we do the Wait What podcast as frequently as we do, and we also do the Baxter Building podcast quite specifically as a, uh, gosh, what did we used to call those things? Crunch goal? No. What is it when it's a goal? A stretch a, goal? Stretch goal. Yeah. You know, people stretched, made it. We made the Baxter Building. Uh, like I said, there's just many people. That um, at some point, actually, we should put together the list so we can thank them for the last episode of the year. But let's definitely make a point to give a shout out to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios uh, and Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Uh, we are especially I grateful. Of her not killing her. I, I of wait of her not killing her. Is that what you said? Yeah, and what I meant was her not killing us. But <laughs> her works as well. <laughs> It is true. It is true. Our our fragile cosmos rests in her mighty paw, so we are lucky that uh, we all survive. Um, we are, again, uh, words really can't do it justice. So I'll just kick it back to Graham. Graham? Words can't do it justice, especially when I apparently forget how to speak. <laughs> That's another reason why it's good sense for us to stop the podcast right now before things devolve into utter lunacy. <laughs> we will be back next week. We'll be talking about the end of the world or just the year, depending on which one actually happens. Hopefully it's just the end of the year. I really do. I want to say, people, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm no, no Catwoman nihilist me. <laughs> wow, nice callback. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, In the meantime, though, everyone, Bye!